Hi, everybody. It's Movie Geeks United, another Blu-ray rundown. We're here the end of the month, July, recording this, and that means that uh, we're going to go back to the first week of the month and, and, and start this thing. You know how it works if you've listened to the show any time in the past. How long has it been? Four or five years that we've been doing this? Uh, we started in June of 2014. Oh, my so, gosh. Uh, it's hard to believe. Seven years. Yeah, and you guys are still uh, enjoying this. Uh, I get the the messages from some of you loyal listeners, and I uh, I appreciate it. I really do. I didn't, uh, the, I didn't get you a birthday cake or anything last month <laughs> for our seventh anniversary. <laughs> yeah, well, seven's a lucky number, maybe. So uh, anyway, but yeah, yeah, I um I can't believe it's been that long, man. I can't believe. But uh, a lot of lot of discs we've talked about in the seven past years uh, you really have but um anyway you know they they uh the discs keep on a coming in spite of uh, the preponderance of streaming in this age that we live in there's still some of us who out there who appreciate the discs and i'm obviously among them but there are, there are many others uh, i'm surprised at how exciting how excited people get at some of these releases uh, that uh, there's been some pretty uh, this has been a banner year for me personally uh, there's been a couple of releases that I never thought I'd see on uh, blu-ray format or any disc format in particular I there's Kolchak the Night Stalker the complete television series is coming out in October they announced that this past week and I never thought I'd see that on blu-ray and it's it's packed with extras there's a uh, it has commentaries on every single episode in the original TV spots uh, on each one of them remastered in 2K. It's it's pretty pretty subs- pretty uh, substantial. And Kino has been. I guess the big news is that they've licensed the MGM. They've signed an agreement with the MGM um, label for some of their catalog titles, and they're really jumping up their 4K game, uh, stepping it up. With some really high-profile releases, they're going to be issuing a couple of months Silence of the Lambs in 4K and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 Philip Kaufman version. Uh, uh, Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more. Those are coming out in 4K. There's a couple, a couple other ones they've they've uh, announced too. So they they have really stepped up their game. Kino has. It's it's a pretty pretty big deal. And uh, a lot of people were kind of upset because, you know, just a couple of, cr- couple of years ago, Criterion released the Silence of the Lambs Criterion Special Edition in Blu-ray format. And now they're saying, now we've got to buy it again <laughs> for 4K. So um, anyway. Oh, there's no end to it. Regardless. Yeah, there's no end to it. But anyway, uh, some, some pretty exciting. And King Kong was the other big announcement this year. Of course, we've talked about that before, but I never thought I'd see the television cut of King Kong on uh, blue on any format, much less Blu-ray. So uh, mm. that was it's a pretty big deal for me. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty exciting year and it just continues. There's a uh, Paramount announced they're going to be doing ragtime pretty soon for a 40th anniversary release. And all the uh, crocodile Dundee films are going to be released in a uh, multi-disc collection. And Oof. so, uh, you know, uh, yeah, those are hit and miss of course, but you know, there are fans. Um, are there yeah, fans of the third I, one? <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, first two yeah. I, I I did rewatch the first two a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that's all I have to say about that. But I, I also watched the third one, and the third one was like, man, that's that's tough going. <laughs> you know, I don't even think I saw the third one. I, I must admit. Um, yeah, I, the uh, the first one I rewatched a couple of months ago. My son had never seen it. My son was not particularly crazy. He was not particularly enthusiastic about it. He said, "Well, this is." This is all there is, and everybody talks about this in such high regard. And well, it was such an underground hit, like an unexpected, yeah. and uh, it was. you know the, the Hogan story along with it was part of the appeal of it. And, uh, oh ind- yeah, of independent course. movie that could. There's mm-hmm. always a title like that every once in a while. Oh yeah, but I yes, mean that, that third one in in particular, it's just so. <laughs> so many of the comedies in that period of time were so sitcommy. Mm-hmm. They forgot yeah. that they were making. There's nothing movieish about them, you know. Right. They forgot that they're making actually a feature film. They just think that that's long form sitcom. <laughs> yes, this is true. Yeah, there's a there's a whole slew of them. That yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, anyway, those are uh, there's a couple other Paramount titles, but I'm drawing a blank right now. I can't think of. Uh, but there were several other surprise announcements. Yeah. That they, uh, well, what about this week. month? Is anything good this month? Yep, actually, that's what we're getting ready to get into. Uh, Criterion issue Bringing Up Baby, the Howard Hawks comedy, which is, uh, you know, held in pretty high regard. I think, for me, it, it took me a couple of times to warm up to this one. I, I thought, you know, the first time I saw it, I wasn't really as enthusiastic about it as everybody else seems to be. But uh, after a couple of viewings, it, you know, I've warmed up to it. And I, I, a lot of people say it's um, uh, that, you know, What's Up Doc was certainly inspired by this. I find What's Up Doc to be a much funnier film than this. But still, nevertheless, it has its charms. This is um, the uh, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Cary Grant comedy we're referring to from, uh, oh, 1938. And uh, Criterion has done a really good job with the transfer here. They've got uh, quite a few interesting special features. John Bailey, the famed cinematographer, is on here talking about a, a discussion, is discussing the work and style of the cinematographer Russell Meddy, who uh, shot this film and would uh, later in his career, actually, he went. I, I think he finished his career shooting episodes of The Waltons, of all things. So uh, he, he went completely around the... I think he also did... Uh, he worked with Orson Welles a little bit, I think. Um, Touch of Evil, I think he shot that, I believe. Anyway, um, so he talks about Russell Mitty in a feature ad here. Scott Eyman uh, is the author of Cary Grant, A Brilliant Disguise. And uh, he's, there's a feature ad where he talks about Cary Grant's performing style. Uh, Craig Barron, uh, he's a film historian discussing the career of visual effects artist Linwood Dunn, who worked on the film. And there's a scene commentary, uh, a Howard Hawks 57-minute documentary, uh, 36-minute documentary uh, interview, rather, uh, archival interview with Cary Grant, recorded in 1969. And there's a Howard Hawks and Peter Bogdanovich conversation from 1972. So, uh, and the commentary is by Bogdanovich as well. So, if you are a fan of uh, Bringing Up Baby, and I would say there are some fans of Bringing Up Baby out there. And, and if you like want to hear said, two hours of Bogdanovich's impressions of Hawks and Grant, I mean, this uh, is a definite... Must buy, because <laughs> you know that yeah. commentary must be filled with that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I, I, not impressions, as in this is what I think of this person. I mean actual impersonations. <laughs> yes, yes. 
he would say it like this, and then he goes on to actually, you know, um, mimic his voice. Yeah, he's a pretty good mimic too, I would say, as uh, evidenced by the recent uh, uh, TCM podcast that he was uh, the subject of. Anyway. Uh, Andrew Tarkovsky's 1975 film Mirror has been issued by Criterion as well. Speaking of Criterion, uh, this may have been – I'm not sure if this is a reissue or if it's uh, being issued for the first time. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think it may be a reissue. But anyway, the uh, Tarkovsky film Mirror from 1975 has been issued. Uh, the two of um, uh, Eddie Murphy films have been issued, but we were speaking of Paramount earlier. 48 Hours and another 48 Hours. Of course, the original 48 Hours from 1982. These are part of the Paramount Presents line of titles that they've been putting out there. Um, Even the title is defeatist. Uh, Another 48 Hours. Uh, (laughs) Here you go. Here you go. Another stakeout. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just seems like they're... Just bored. Uh, they're even too bored to title the film. That's true. Yeah. Well, the uh, the original Forty Eight Hours. I, I don't have to tell anybody. That's considered to be a classic. Uh, you know, it's the film that actually made Eddie Murphy a film star. Uh, his film debut, and what a debut it was. Um, in this new special edition uh, part, like I said, number nineteen in the Paramount Presents series, uh, we have a filmmaker focus. Director Walter Hill is on here discussing Forty Eight Hours. And there's the trailer, and uh, not sure why this is included, but Space Kid, which is an original 1966 animated short. Not sure what the connection is to uh, 48 Hours, but nevertheless, it's on here as a bonus. Uh, you tell me, and maybe we'll both know. That's something Arthur Hill that he made in college or something? Walter Hill, maybe. Walter maybe. Hill, yeah. I was yeah, thinking Walter of Hill, Arthur Hiller. Yeah, Arthur. <laughs> Quite a difference, Arthur yeah. Hiller and Walter Hill. Yeah, I, I just don't see Arthur Hiller uh, directing Southern Comfort or The Driver or The Warriors. But anyway, <laughs> that would be interesting to see that uh, attempted, but uh, not sure I would want to. And I followed up The Warriors with Arthur Arthur. <laughs> I'm all about oh, the 180. Yeah, he was... Uh, he is the standard definition of a workmanlike director because, uh, yeah. you know, in the same yet, calendar year. And yet so few of his films work, man. Uh, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's funny. I, I look at his uh, resume, you know, like in 1970, he had Love Story, obviously, biggest uh, success of the year financially. And then he also had The Out of Towners, which I think is actually a pretty funny movie, much funnier than the remake. Uh, I'm, I'm quite a fan of it. I think Lemon is, is great in it, as well as Sandy Dennis. But, uh, you know, again, its it, it strengths are maybe uh, mostly the Neil Simon screenplay, I would say, as opposed to Hiller's direction. And then in, he, he so that's how he began the decade. And then he ended the decade with two films that year as well. He did Nightwing and the In-Laws, which mm-hmm. are <laughs> mm-hmm. about as polar opposite as you can imagine. So, uh I always Maybe. thought the in-laws was funny, even though I haven't watched it in so many years. But oh, I like the. In-laws. But you look at you look at that kind of stuff, and you think, uh, you know, there's some great movies, and you know that no one else could have done it better or done it as well. Right. And then there are movies like Love Story, and you think, yeah, there are probably a number of guys that could have made that movie the way it. Oh, I would agree. The way yes. it played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I guess the end result's what counts, and uh, so uh, he yeah. um, 
He didn't mess it up. According to Robert Evans, he had a pretty good piece of that pie and uh, kept him uh, financially secure for quite a while. I think yeah, I'm sure they were selling people the world trying to get up and uh, back up and running at Paramount. Yeah, he was the last choice. He could not get anybody to direct Love Story. He he literally had gone through I don't know how many directors, and everybody turned him down. They said, this piece of direct, what are you talking about? And then uh, Arthur Hiller finally, uh, I think he had to squeeze it in uh, right before he did the out-of-towners. I, I think that's what happened. Or maybe it was right after the out-of-towners. He had to do the out-of-towners first, I believe, and then Love Story, and he just uh, had to had to wait on him, but he, he agreed to do it. Um wasn't really super crazy about it, but uh, yeah. the rest is history. I just remember when Arthur Hiller was the president of the Academy or whatever he was the president of, and he'd come out every Academy Awards ceremony in the middle, and he'd give this big speech. That was the most unexciting thing you've ever seen in your life. You're like, can you bring out the accountant? Like, anything would be more exciting than hearing from Arthur Hiller at the Oscars. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah, he was he was not the most uh, charismatic, uh, shall we say. Yeah, I'm um, sure there are people that loved him, though, I guess. I know oh, that yeah. he, he's the one filmmaker Pacino did not jibe with. Yeah, they, they, they're uh, I think the end result there is not, is not the, the finest, uh, not the finest project that either either of them were involved in yeah, but uh but although it, we we have a little love for it so but it gave us milk and cookies man that it did <laughs> can't uh, can't say enough about that one so anyway but i will say that uh back to 48 hours that's a that's a pretty still holds up i think it's a pretty good uh <laughs> <laughs> oh that's right we were talking about walter hill. talking about 48 we were talking yeah yeah, about yeah. we just hill, we just hiller. made a tidbit segue into arthur hillerville i'm yeah. sorry for anybody who wanted to know about uh, little tidbits about the the uh, life and career of Arthur Hiller, there you go. Um, anyway, this is a show about sub-referencing, in case you haven't yeah. figured that out already. Um, nevertheless, now back to 48 Hours. For the next eight years, Walter Hill did not have too much success, so I guess it wasn't too hard for them to get him to agree to direct another 48 Hours and so he did in 1990, and that's number 20 in the Paramount Presents series. It's also been issued this month. And there's also a filmmaker focus feature out here with Walter Hill on this one as well. Uh, I've always heard, don't know if this is true or not, that about 30 minutes of this film was cut uh, pre-release. It like wasn't was enough. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I had... I don't think another 48 hours is the worst thing you've seen. I mean, it's watchable, but it's definitely by the numbers. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And uh, I always thought it was odd how Eddie Murphy seems to be – they play him as kind of a buffoon in the original film, and now he's suddenly a criminal mastermind in the second film. His character kind of does a 180. Uh, it's, it's a little strange. But, uh, you know, there's some – I remember Leonard Maltin said this movie must – set a record for the most panes of glass broken in a film. I remember he said that in his review, so <laughs> that always mm. stood out in my mind for some reason. But, uh, you know, it, it has some good stunts, and like I said, not a great film. Pale, pale comparison, uh, pale imitation of the original, but, uh, you know, you can, it's watchable. Well, that so. film was such a moment. I mean, it was a, it was a moment for de- definitely the emergence of Eddie Murphy as a legitimate movie presence. Oh, yeah. So, and you can't put that genie back in the bottle and release it again. For, with a, a sequel to it, you know. 
Yeah. And you have to think about, too, the career trajectory of Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. I mean, Nick Nolte was the uh, big star. Yeah. He, he was the big star when 48 Hours was made. And then when another 48 Hours is made, well, it's the complete opposite. So uh, and this was before <laughs> Nolte's resurgence. Yeah. <laughs> he mistook yeah. them when when they apparently when they told him that um, Eddie Murphy was they wanted Eddie Murphy to star across from him. Will you meet with him? And he was like, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. He didn't know who it was. And they said, yeah, yeah, the the black guy from Saturday Night Live. And he was like, oh. and so he went and met him, and and he came back, and he was like, uh, uh, why are you hiring him? He's a crack addict. And they're like, what are you talking about? Eddie Murphy doesn't do any drugs. And 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 he was thinking it was Garrett Morris. Yeah, right. Yeah. Saturday Night Live. Yeah, because he was the other black guy from Saturday Night yes. Live. So apparently. Nolte was taking GHB, GHB way back then. <laughs> oh wow! No, I don't. That's just a yeah. We don't know. We yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, I don't know if Garrett Morris was a crackhead. I don't know anything about Garrett Morris, but that's the story that he tells. Yeah, he's yeah. There, I think it's pretty well known that he had some issues okay, back good, then, and good, good. a lot of a lot of people uh, a lot of people did. He's not the only one, but uh, yeah, that's uh, why are you hiring this guy? He's like a crack addict. <laughs> 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 oh, that's something. Well, you know, I noticed in, when I was I was rewatching it of the 48 hours for the show uh, when I got my review copy in, and I noticed one of the first things you see in the credits is an Eddie Murphy production. Wow, <laughs> so yeah. It's totally different from the first movie because there's no mention except for him being in the cast. Yeah. And now in this one, it's it's not only he's in the cast, it's he like runs an Eddie the show. Murphy production. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. Oh, well, moving right along. So we've got a couple of 4K releases from Universal. One is uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World from 2010, a film that really didn't do very well uh, in its original release, but has become a pretty celebrated from a cult film standpoint. And I think it works well enough. And um, then we have Howard the Duck making its 4K <laughs> debut. Uh, I never thought this film would make it to... I was surprised it made it to DVD, much less Blu-ray and 4K, but now we have the ultra-high-definition edition of uh, Howard the Duck. Wow. And um, what uh, what more can you say about this? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I You know, this movie will always hold a special place in my heart. I think I've told this story, but it was the, uh, the first film that I was able to drive myself to see in a movie theater. Got the day I... Got my driver's license. I literally went from the uh, from from the driver's license office right to the theater and saw wow. Howard the Duck, and I was so proud of myself. I'm like, ah, I'm driving myself to the movie theater, mm. and I was quickly uh, just, uh, and my my um, my attitude quickly changed once I saw the film. But <laughs> and you drove yourself back home after 20 minutes. I mean, that was very special. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I did see yeah. this opening Saturday. Yeah, but you know. I wasn't uh, a discriminating viewer when I was a kid, so right. I was I was just happy to be in a movie theater. I kind of was too, actually. Yeah. And you know, I I remember seeing it. Like I said, I just turned sixteen, and I I thought, well, it's okay. And then I remember it being savaged by the critics, and I thought, well, I didn't think it was quite that bad. But I don't think I've seen. I think I've seen it once on VHS tape when it came out since it was released, and I don't think I've seen it since. So I, yeah, I probably should go back and revisit just to see how bad it really is, but because uh, I have a more discerning eye now. Uh, yeah, and but, you watch that, and, and you really see the promise of of Dead Man Walking and Tim Robbins, <laughs> the dead film. 
I mean, it's all there, man. It's there. Yeah, I see a it's Bull it. Durham in his future. <laughs> yes, indeed. Wasn't oh, the goodness. voice of Howard the Duck the Roger Rabbit guy? Charles Fleischer? Oh, or was it? Or was it somebody I else? I don't think it was, but I can't remember who it was, but I don't think it was him. Okay. Yeah, well. Yeah, and anyway. Charles Fleischer had all this press from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then he kind of disappeared, and all of a sudden he reappeared in Zodiac, of all things. Yes. <laughs> right. Sure did. And, you're, and it makes sense, because it's kind of disturbing. Like yeah, if if why what the hell is Charles he just doesn't fit something's not right and that's what that whole scene is about something's not right yeah exactly I think he's very effective in uh, in Zodiac I yeah. think he uh, he does a that was good casting good choice by Fincher yeah well a couple more 4K releases we have Doctor Strangelove mm. uh, I don't have to say too much more about that film I mean you know an absolute classic masterpiece and, is that a Sony uh, release. It's a Sony release, yeah. Made made it to 4K. Uh, they they did a um a box set of 4K releases last year of a, a critical, a, you know, I think it was right. maybe Oscar, yeah, Oscar favorites or something like that. And anyway, it was a uh, it was only available as part of the box set, but now it's been issued separately. So uh, anyway, in 4K, and uh, here's the film that I know uh, I was clamoring for, and I say that in jest. Uh, Space Jam is in uh, has been issued on 4K as well. The original 1996. Mm. Um, well, that sequel's out now. Yes, of course. And everybody's saying, you know, oh, it's bad the sequel. And I said, uh, well, it can't be much worse than the original. I mean, what can you say about a film in which the Looney Tunes are supporting characters in their own film? But um, anyway, I just remember being incredibly disappointed by that movie when I saw it in the theater. But mm, I haven't seen it since. Well, anyway, MVD releasing has uh, issued two of the HBO horror film staples from the early 80s, The House on Sorority Row and Mortuary, uh, both of those from 1983 with some new extras and new transfers. Wow. And like I said, that's uh, MVD, MVD releasing. Yeah, they, they, they put out some good stuff occasionally. Um, we'll get to another one of their titles here. And Bringing some B horror movies back from the dead. Yes, indeed. Well, I wonder how yeah. difficult, how challenging it is to, well, I guess maybe not. Very challenging to find people to contribute bonus materials for movies like that. I would yeah, think I that it might, it might probably be easier than if a big star was fronting the movie and you're trying to get an interview with them. I guess the hardest thing would be trying to track them down. Yeah, we've run into that. We, we know a little bit about that for sure. Um, yeah, because uh, some people are easy to find and some people not so much. Mm -hmm. And some people don't want to be found, as we've discovered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's um, that, these people, I guess, would probably be if they were in their tw that's you know 40 years ago. So I'm thinking probably 60s, mid 60s at least, probably for right. a lot of these people who are in these early 80s horror films. So yeah, you're they're still they're is still there, young enough. Is there a special? I'm sure there is a special edition Blu-ray somewhere of Black Christmas. Oh, yeah, I have that. Uh, Scream Factory put that out, I okay. think, in 2017. It's really good. The transfer that's a, is outstanding. That's a great horror movie. It sure is. Yeah, I, I would recommend anybody who doesn't have that to uh, pick it up because it's got some – I think it's got a Bob Clark archival commentary that he did before he, uh, before his untimely passing. Wow. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, th I can't remember what all the – but anyway, I do have it, and it's uh, we, we pull that out every year at Christmas. Round, mm. he, round these parts. Yeah, that should be the traditional movie. <laughs> yes. 
I'll tell you, I'm a fan of it. I really am. And the other one I love is uh, Christmas Evil from 1980. That's uh, Christmas Evil. Uh, yeah, I love that. I, I, it's so. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I, I laughed out loud because it's kind of played. You know, it's so over the top that you can't take it seriously. And uh, it's just, uh, it's John Waters' favorite Christmas movie. He said that many times in interviews, and I, I can see why. Mm. So uh, yeah, and. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, Fiona Apple's father plays the lead. He's the maniacal Santa Claus in the film. So uh, wow. that's interesting enough. Interestingly enough, uh, Brandon Maggart, I think is his name. But anyway, uh, yeah, getting sidetracked here again. You know me. Uh, speaking of MVD. Anyway, back to uh, Arthur Hiller. <laughs> <laughs> back to Arthur Hiller. Yes. Oh, geez. Uh, another MVD release, we were just talking about them, is Mr. Jealousy, by the film by Noah Baumbach from 1990, mm. 1998, I'm sorry. This has uh, Eric Stoltz and Annabella Ciora, and, yeah, Brian Kerwin, Peter Bogdanovich, speaking of him, he's in this as well. Uh, of, uh, Peter Bogdanovich Baumbach. is really good in a movie that nobody has seen called Pasadena from six or seven years ago. It's an independent little movie. Uh-huh. Uh, Cheryl Hines is also in it. There's a couple of names in it, but he's very good in it. Yeah. I did not. I remember. I, it seems like that uh, was on my radar, and I um, miss. I never did see it, so it's good to know. I should go back and find that. Oh, a couple other uh, couple of Kino releases here. We have uh, Icy Beasts from 1974, starring Alain Delon. And we have uh, The Road to Selena from 1970, which is a film I wasn't familiar with. And I didn't get a review copy of it, but I hear it's – I read a couple of Blu-ray reviews of it uh, in other forums, and they say it's really good. I'm not really familiar with the title, but anyway, those are Kino releases. Uh, uh, another Alain Delon film, The Widow Corderic from 1971. It's another one of their releases this month. And an Arrow video release that's interesting is a Threshold from 2020. That was filmed on uh, an iPhone on a period of 12 hours. The entire film, I think, was shot on a uh, – or maybe it was uh, two days. Maybe. I, mean, I can't remember. But it's, it's, it was short in a, shot in a very short period of time on an iPhone, and uh, it's kind of largely improvised. But uh, I'm not really sure of the plot of it, but it's been getting a little press because of the way the – unique way it was shot and that it, the technology has gotten to a point where it actually is uh, pretty convincing. Sounds so promising. Yeah. I don't know. I, I got a review copy of it, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. I want to see it just for the, uh, the technique, if nothing else. But anyway, another Kino release is the 1980 film, the black marble, which was um, scripted by Joseph Wambaugh. You know, he was the, uh, the famous crime writer, a former police officer who, turned crime writer in the uh, early 1970s and a lot of his stuff was made into films and um, the onion field was uh, one of his books that was made into a film and directed by harold becker who you and i had the pleasure of seeing live back in 2019 at his uh, screening for city hall and um and he directed anyway, this one yes he directed this one that's what i was getting to the he reunited with joseph wambaugh the next year for the black marble I like this movie. I really do. Um, I'm not going to tell you that it's the greatest thing ever made, but it's it's a charming little, uh, interesting little movie. Robert Foxworth is an alcoholic police officer. It's a great Los Angeles movie, too. Uh, captures the, the feel and the look of Los Angeles in 1980. So if you're an L.A. person like 
like myself who loves L.A., uh, this is one I would highly recommend. Uh, a lot of great uh, location um, uh, stuff there. And, uh, yeah, Foxworth is a, is a Russian police officer who's, a, who's a basically a drunk. Uh, and he's teamed uh, with uh, Paula Prentice in the film. And yeah, another they, one of the cast members is named John Hancock. And if you look on Google where it pictures it shows pictures of the cast. Uh-huh. The, it has John Hancock and it shows the picture of uh, of of the the American Revolution John Hancock. <laughs> who who died in the 1700s. <laughs> I doubt he said the movie. Maybe he is though. I don't remember seeing him in there. I must admit, but uh, well, this movie has a, has an interesting villainous turn by Harry Dean Stanton. He's a dog napper in this film. He kidnaps dogs, prize dogs, and uh, holds them for ransom. Mm. Uh, but anyway, Apollo Prentice and Robert Foxworth they eventually have a you know there's going to be a romance that you can probably see that coming. But it's it's a nice uh, it's it's nicely done and uh, you know it's it's Harold Becker doing what he did well with the previous year's The Onion Field and uh, getting back into Joseph Wambaugh territory. And uh, this Kino release actually has a commentary by um, Harold Becker. Uh, and, you know, I looked up some info on him. You know, I was shocked to find out he's in his mid-90s now, yeah. which means he was about 90 when we uh, saw him that night. So uh, that's quite interesting. I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, good so, on him. Uh, yeah, good. He was doing well that night, though. He was... Uh, Pretty had some interesting anecdotes and I, I don't know. Um, uh, but like I'm telling was... you, Mercury Rising really aged him. I mean, that's where. <laughs> that's what did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was in his 30s when he made that, and he suddenly. <laughs> I did rewatch uh, Malice, and yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I mm -hmm. did the first time I watched it. And you know, I think Domestic Disturbance is a perfectly co uh, competent uh, little standard family thriller you know oh yeah yeah sure yeah uh yeah that's uh I, he's he's got some film and of course sea of love you know that's probably one of his oh, yeah, best yeah. films what can you say about that so uh yeah so another mvd visual release is the last time i committed suicide from 1997 which is a, a biopic of uh, the poet neil cassidy who was uh, you know pretty famous in the 50s and this stars thomas jane keanu reeves is in this and adrian brody and gretchen mall and uh, directed by and written by stephen k and so um anyway that's a, like i said an mvd release there are a few extras there's a commentary here maybe uh 100 sure but anyway a uh, few things there worth mentioning so um Anyway, so moving along, we have a uh, new battle, new battles. Uh, I'm sorry, um, yeah, new battles without honor, humanity. It's the complete trilogy of films by. Um, Going to try to pronounce this guy, Kenji Fukasaku. Um, it includes the films The Boss's Head, The Last Days of the Boss. And New Battles Without Honor and Humanity. I'm not really familiar with any of these films, but this is an Arrow release, and these are uh, Japanese films, crime thrillers. But just wanted to mention these lots of new extras on this um, set with these three films. And New Transfers. And so we'll move on to July 13th, and we have Deep Cover mm. from 1992. This is a Criterion release. I, 
this was kind of a surprise that uh, Criterion was releasing this. Uh, it didn't seem like the kind of thing they would normally do, but nevertheless, they have this uh, directed by Bill Duke. And uh, this film, I remember it kind of when it was, you know, it got fairly decent reviews, but they weren't glowing when the film came out, and now it seems to have been reappraised. Yeah. I know Aaron loves that movie. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on it? I haven't watched it since it came out. So I I, I remember Goldblum in it talking crazy. Yeah. yeah he, that he is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He, Aaron's always been very bullish on that movie. So I need to check that out again. <laughs> I watched it again uh, with the review copy that I did receive. And I watched it uh, about a week ago. And uh, I, I thought it's good for what it is. Um, I'm not over the moon about it. Uh, but I, you know, I'd give it a, you know, A, B, C, or D scale. I'd give it a B plus. I, I think it, you know, it definitely has its moments and great performances by Fishburne. I think that's one of Fishburne's first leading roles. I think he had played supporting roles up to that point. And um, anyway, like I said, new interview on this Criterion release with Bill Duke, an AFI Conservatory seminar from 2018 featuring Duke and Lawrence Fishburne. And this is moderated by the film critic Elvis Mitchell. New conversation between film scholars Raquel J. Gates and Michael Gillespie. And we have um, uh, this is this is a piece about the the uh, the film's place within the black film boom of the early 90s. And um, so anyway, we've and trailer and essay booklets. So if you're a fan of deep cover, want to go revisit it. Criterion has now issued that. We have that opportunity. Almost Famous has been issued in 4K by Paramount in a steelbook edition. And uh, they've done a nice job here with this. It has two cuts of the film. Uh, it has the bootleg version of the, it's called the bootleg cut, which is about 45 minutes longer than the original theatrical uh, version. And it has the theatrical cut of the film and all of the previously issued special features with the deleted scenes and commentaries and all that stuff uh, looks great sounds great and uh, the soundtrack is featured here as a bonus as well uh so almost famous the 2000 film from writer director cameron crowe from paramount they've done a, a splendid job with this new 4k release and let's see uh, wrath of man guy ritchie's latest uh Action Thriller has been issued by uh, Warner Brothers proper. There are no uh, extras on this, but um, it has been has been issued. Uh, it's uh, got getting has received pretty good reviews, I think, uh, for the most part. But uh, Mortal Kombat is another Warner Brothers release released in both 4K and Blu-ray. And uh, that's the latest reboot of the uh attempt at a film version of that video game, which was done several decades ago. And uh, speaking of Guy Ritchie, Snatch has been issued in 4K by Sony. And we also have uh, from Scream Factory, we have House of Wax, the remake from 2005 with Paris Hilton. And this is the third version, of course, of House of Wax. Uh, The Mysteries of the Wax Museum was the original, and House of Wax is um, the uh, second version with Vincent Price. This was the third version of that story. And there are new interviews with uh, Paris Hilton and the composer John Ottman and special effects supervisor Jason Baird. 
B-roll and bloopers, and uh, Joel Silver, the producer, uh, reveals House of Wax on location, and uh, House Built on Wax, it's a thing about the visual effects and an alternate opening, so, and there's a gag reel. Isn't that uh, ironic? A gag reel with Paris Hilton, but anyway, uh, I won't go for that cheap joke. Uh, Anyway, uh, House of Wax has been issued by Screen Factory, uh, and uh, we'll move in, moving along to another Criterion release is uh, Working Girls from 1986. Uh, we have that uh, directed by Lizzie Borden. This was a, a pretty big deal within the indie film world. Uh, I know it was very well received at the time of its release. Um, I watched it, uh, the review copy that I received, and I found it to be a little bit um, too talky and slow, slowly paced for my taste. I I know it made a big deal when it originally was released, but just didn't quite, just wasn't quite uh, what I had hoped for or expected. But uh, it has its moments. But I was a little underwhelmed, I must admit. But nevertheless, it was a big deal at the time of its release, and it's good that it's getting out uh, a, a nice Blu-ray edition by Criterion, which has a new 4K digital transfer supervised by Lizzie Borden. Uh, commentary by Borden from 2007. New conversation between Borden and filmmaker Betty Gordon. And uh, new conversations with uh, several of the cast members and, and actual sex workers and um, an essay booklet. Uh, like I said, it looks good. The quality of the transfer is nice. And uh, it's basically about uh, a group of sex workers uh, in a uh, one of their just basically takes place in the space of one day. And it's about a, a trio of sex workers and their how they attempt to balance their work and their home life. What is that? Working girls? Working like, girls. Yeah. Talking about, yeah, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, like I said, directed and written by Lizzie Borden, no relation to the uh, the famous axe murderer. Yeah, I would imagine so. not. <laughs> so uh, Be- Betty Gordon, Betty Gordon does a commentary on it, or? Uh, yes, there's a there's a feature actually an interview here with Lizzie Borden and Bet- Betty Gordon. Yeah. Oh, um, Betty Gordon is different. Bet. Is or it's it? Bet Gordon, I think it is. Bet B-E-T-T-E, yeah. sorry. Well, I was fascinated to see her movie Variety from 1983. Uh-huh. And I finally watched it, and, and uh, and because um, it was playing on, I don't know, one of the streamers. And uh, so I, like, looked up Bet Gordon, and I said, who is this filmmaker? Because I wasn't aware of her. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that popped up for her was an interview that I did with her. <laughs> From 2009, when she made a movie called Handsome Harry, it was her and Jamie Sheridan that were on the phone with me. And uh, I was like, man, I've talked to her, and I feel terrible because I hadn't seen Variety then. And that was such an interesting movie about a woman that takes the job of a ticket taker at a porno cinema in New York City. Um, Yeah, this missed opportunities, just ignorance on my part. Well, we can't. You can't catch them all, and I've had that happen before, too. I've talked to somebody and then later on see something else they were involved in and kicking myself, like, God, I wish I'd seen that earlier. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bad feeling. To I my credit, it. I did watch Handsome Harry. I mean, I, I was informed about the thing that I was talking to her about. but <laughs> Well, that helps. Uh, and I have listened to quite a number of podcasts where uh, they didn't even bother to do that much. So Yeah, so, uh, Mark Maron's very open about it. He's like, look, I oh, watched yeah. half your movie on a screener. <laughs> yeah. At least he's honest. I I think the uh, 
the thing that made me a little cringe a little bit, and I like Mark, Mark Maron's podcast. I he gets some good guests, but uh, and he does ask some pretty good questions. But I thought it was interesting when he was interviewing Alan Alda a couple of a couple of years ago, and he said, "So, what did your old man do for a living?" Wow. <laughs> and of course, his father was a famous actor, Robert Alda. Well, uh-huh. That was a little bit uh, cringeworthy. Uh, I, I was I was embarrassed for him, but uh, anyway. Yeah, and of course, Alan Alda had to say, uh, my dad was an actor, uh, you know, uh, Robert Alda, you ever hear of him? No, well, oh, really? Wow, wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so that was one time it came to bite him, I think. It doesn't always work out to your advantage to be unprepared. I get the, I get the idea. The theory is to, you know, remain fresh, and or maybe it could just be a nice way of saying I'm lazy, I don't want to do the work, but who knows? <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. I mean, I agree with that. <laughs> Just keep keep fresh. I I never write down any questions, but it's because in general, I mean, I know what I want to talk to them about. Like I I know enough about them to feel confident not writing down any questions. But when you're talking about somebody like a Larry King, who who knows that, you know, God bless him. I like watching Larry King actually, but uh uh, you know, rest in peace. But who who knows absolutely fucking nothing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's. That's not necessarily a way to go either. Like, you know, when he asked uh, Seinfeld, uh, so they canceled Seinfeld? <laughs> and Seinfeld was like, what are you talking about? We were, we were the biggest show on television. Like, we ended it. Like, do you know anything about me? <laughs> oh, yeah. You just, it makes you want to crawl. When you're listening to an interview like that, it makes you just want to crawl under the uh, under the desk yeah. for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. Well, Kino Lorber has issued The Web, which is a uh, a crime thriller from 1947 starring Edmund O'Brien and Vincent Price. And it's about a bodyguard who kills a man in defense of his employer's life and believes the victim was set up to be murdered. Uh, like I said, uh, this was one I didn't receive and wasn't really familiar with it, but uh, The Web 1947, the new SpongeBob movie has been issued by Paramount on Blu-ray, and uh, so it's, uh, I don't know how many of these they've done, I've lost track. A um, couple more Kino releases here, 1948's Larceny and alias Nick Beale from 1949, both of those are crime thrillers. And we have uh, the 1989, one of the late entries in the career of um, Blake Edwards, Skin Deep. This is the one with the infamous glowing condom in the uh, film's ads, if you recall. And, uh, you know, that kind of, I, I think that's one of the best gags in the film, actually. But, it, you know, it's not terrible. Uh, it's certainly preferable, I would say, to Son of the Pink Panther, which he ended his career with. Um, and what's the one he did with uh, Ted Danson and, uh, and Howie Mandel? Was it a fine mess, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So I would say it's preferable to either one of those, but uh, not the finest moment in Blake Edwards' career. But uh, anyway, it's fine. Um, I liked it okay. Yeah, Mill Creek has issued that. It's it can be had for I think about ten dollars. They their titles are usually budget priced, so you know you're not gonna it's not gonna break the bank if you want to pick up Skin Deep. Uh, Objective Burma from 1941. I think this was for one of the first World War II made. Uh, one, uh, I'll get this out. Let me try one more time. One of the finest World War II movies made during the war, says um, 
the movie guide and it was one of the first i think they uh it was shot in california and it's um it's about a um uh about a paratrooper patrol who is uh, stranded in burma it was actually california is uh, substituting for uh, asia uh, but anyway, it's directed by Raul Walsh. Errol Flynn stars in this. Uh, James Brown is also in this. Not the soul singer James Brown. I will uh, on saying that. Uh, yeah, George Tobias is in this as well. He was mis- better known as Mr. Kravitz on Bewitched. And uh, he's the one that infamously, after he died, his body was stolen from the hearse in which his uh, corpse was residing. That's a whole other story. You can find out more about that online. Uh, it's an interesting <laughs> <laughs> aside about his after uh, a bizarre entry in his uh i guess it wouldn't be his life he was de- dead when it happened anyway nevertheless two classic warner brothers wartime shorts uh, the tanks are coming with also with george tobias and 1943's the rear gunner with burgess meredith and ronald reagan so uh, two short films there and a theatrical trailer so objective burma which is a generally well-reviewed film I would say. Um, so, and we're moving right along to uh, July the 20th. Let's see what we have here. Uh, yep, July the 20th. We have uh, quite a few uh, releases on that day. One of my favorite horror films from the early 80s. I was a big fan of this one. Uh, it's one that uh, fondly remembers of the days of the video store, and I was about, oh, I guess. 14 years old at the time, about 15, I guess. And I just had recently gotten a VCR for the first time. And a buddy of mine uh, and I, we used to go to the video store every Friday night and just randomly pick out horror films. And we stumbled across Dead and Buried. Mm. And we put that in and watched it. And boy, uh, it made an impression that's that's never left me. Uh, scripted by Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett, better known for their scripting duties on Alien, the original Alien. And the, uh, the tagline was, the creators of Alien bring a new terror to Earth. And this stars James Ferentino as a sheriff in a small town in New England. And he notices that all the, uh, the people, there are a lot of murders that are being committed in this town that are going unsolved. And the, uh, the corpses are coming back to life and how that's happening and why. And uh, he's a little stumped and wants to get to the bottom of it. And it has a big twist at the end of the film and... Uh, this was the final film appearance from Academy Award winner Jack Albertson, who starred in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and he won an Oscar for the subject was Roses in 1968. Um, yeah, he's the uh, the Undertaker, and he plays a central part in this film. And um, anyway, it's uh, a really a terrific thriller with a great twist ending. Uh, couldn't recommend it more. Don't want to say too much about it. Uh, the good folks at Blue Underground have done a spectacular job with a new 4K ultra high de- ultra high definition release of this that also includes a Blu-ray. And there's some new extras here. Uh, Gary Sherman directed this film, who uh, now mostly does television, but he also did the uh, the Wanted Dead or a live film with Gene Simmons from the mid 80s, and he did Vice Squad and the third Poltergeist film. And uh, he has recently uncovered some home movies that they shot on the set uh, that have never been seen before or until now that here's bonuses and there's um there's a location a, a feature about the locations then and now actually this film was shot in mendocino which was the same place where the summer of 42 was shot 
Uh, so the same town, and I didn't know that until I started watching this and saw some of the extras, and I thought, oh, yeah, see it now. I recognize, I recognize it. But uh, So it's not New England. It's actually California. Uh, Stan Winston does the effects on this film, and there's a feature out about his terrific special effects. Uh, he does some really good makeup effects. They're really gruesome. Robert England's also in this, and there's, uh, he appears here on a featurette talking about it. And, uh, and the soundtrack has never been issued before, and it's been issued as a bonus CD. So this really terrific uh, set of Dead and Buried. If you haven't seen this film, uh, I would recommend seeing it uh, because it uh, it really rewards you with a nice little uh, – it's a nice little thriller with a nice little reward at the end of a nice little twist. I, I, uh, I've always enjoyed it. So um, the Go-Go Boys, the inside story of Canon Films, has been is a documentary that's been issued by MVD Visual. That's uh, another one of their releases this month. Uh, Eight-Legged Freaks has Have been I issued Have I seen by that, Sp- the Go-Go Boys? I don't know if you have. There's there's two there's two different documentaries on Canon films. I, th- this one I have not seen. I've seen the other one. Okay, I think I I'm think the Electric same way. Boogaloo was the other one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that one I saw, which I could not recommend more. <clears throat> it's really good. Uh, this one I did not see. Uh, but uh, I think the difference what dis- what distinguishes these two is that the Go Go Boys actually has the uh, the 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 actual uh, Golem Globus. I think they're actually involved in this one, whereas they were not. Hmm. involved in the other one so uh, they are uh, the, the founders of the company anyway uh strangers watching the 1982 thriller with rip torn can you imagine a, a thriller with somebody named rip torn that's <laughs> how a propose uh anyway um um anyway this was a uh, kate nelligan um like i said it's uh, i used to turn up on hbo in the early days uh, of hbo i i thought it was Pretty good at the time, directed by Sean Cunningham, fresh off Friday the 13th. And, uh, you know, it's, it is Rip Torn doing, uh, you know, what he does best. You're playing, a, um, in this case, he's playing a, a killer on the loose. And I don't remember a whole lot about it, to be quite honest, but uh, I just remember enjoying it back in the day. And I don't know if it would hold up now or not. But anyway, didn't get a review copy of it, didn't get a chance to revisit. But Screen Factory has issued a Strangers Watching. Uh, Eight-Legged Freaks is also a Scream Factory release from 2002. And we also have Little Big League, which has been issued as one of the Shout Select titles from 1994. And we have the uh, the latest from the Saw franchise, Spiral, from the Book of Saw, starring Chris Rock. Uh, Lionsgate has issued that. Um, and we have a couple of... Uh, let's see, a couple of releases here from Severin Films... We have Invaders of the Lost Gold, which is, uh, gosh, I, I'm not really sure. I think this was a, an attempt to capitalize on Raider of the Lost Ark. Uh, and um, the review on the back of it says, A Descent into Jungle Madness, a good-natured adventure with a juicy cast and raced with lurid sex and gore. That's the spinning image, a quote from them. Uh, this is from producer Dick Randall, who also is fa- uh, famous or infamous for Escape from Women's Prison, The Wild Wild World of Jane Mansfield, and Pieces. Yes, oh, Pieces. So anyway, uh, this is uh, a Severin Films release with uh, a new interview with the director and outtakes from uh, Machete Maidens Unleashed, which is a uh, documentary, I think. Well, anyway, uh, Skinned Deep from 19, or t- sorry, 2003 on this one. And this is uh, 
this was Matthew Barney. The uh, I think he did. F, he was a, a um, um, special effects makeup artist who did work on Brain Damage and Frankenhooker and several other of those early eighty horror films. And um, he does the work on this. Uh, as well as the uh, writer and director being Gabe Bartolos. Uh, it's a demented gift from the B-movie gods, it says. Um, it's about a... Uh, oh, it's about a rural clan of psychotic freaks and their, the killing spree that takes us to places and shows us things we've never seen before. Uh, skinned Deep, like I said, directed by Gabriel Bartolos. And, so Skinned um, Deep. Yes, yeah, Skinned. S-K-I-N-N-D. Severant. Yeah, Severin Films has released this on Blu-ray with a uh, a look back featuring the cast and the writer and director and audio commentary and making of featurette. So anyway, and Born for Hell, a 1975 horror film from Montreal filmmaker Dennis Hero, who also directed The Uncanny, and uh, he was the uh, Oscar-nominated producer of Atlantic City. And it's a, uh, a docudrama uh, of the Chicago mass murderer Richard Spencer. Uh, except it's been uh, he's been uh, they've moved the story of Richard Speck to war-torn Belfast instead uh, so it's <laughs> it's basically the story of Richard Speck but put in a different locale hey did you hear uh, that the dating game killer died today I did not Akoa or whatever his name is no yeah. I didn't 77 years hmm. old wow yep most of his victims weren't even half that well, I don't know. Gives you pause for thought. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, anyway, the director's cut of Born for Hell, and it uh, this can, includes uh, interviews with the uh, actor Matthew Carrier, who stars in the film, and uh, there's a documentary called Nightmare in Chicago, remembering the Richard Speck murders with filmmaker John McNaughton and Gary Sherman. Wow. Directed Dead and Buried that we just talked about. And John McNaughton, of course, uh, the director of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So um, there's a couple of documentaries about the real Richard Speck story on here as well. So Born for Hell from 1975. I didn't get a chance to see these. I, uh, I hope to do that soon. Maybe I can report on a future episode, but uh, Severin Films has issued all of these. And um, anyway, we have a couple more uh, releases here. Uh, Bye Bye Birdie has been issued by Sony on Blu-ray. Uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game from 1949. This is a Warner Archive release. And this is Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, and Gene Kelly, and directed by Busby Berkeley. And the special features here include the deleted musical numbers, Baby Doll and Boys and Girls Like You and Me, and the cartoon The Cat and the Merry Mouse, and the Mermouse, I'm sorry, Cat and the Mermouse, and the theatrical trailer. Uh, brand new transfer here on Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, nice looking uh, Technicolor uh, uh, production. That's pretty well reviewed, I think, for the most part. And we also have the uh, A Quiet Place has been issued, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2 has been issued in 4K. And it's also been issued in a two-movie Blu-ray collection with A Quiet Place 1 and 2 together. Mm. So you get them uh, A Quiet Place Part 2 in 4K by itself or get uh, get the pairing of both films. Do you like it? Quiet Place 2? Yeah, I thought it was a little bit better than the first one, actually. I really? know the first one has a... Uh, uh, I enjoyed it a little bit more. I know the first one has a, a lot of fans, 
and I liked the first one, but I thought this one was a little more um, it's a little more to it story wise. I thought I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked I, it I really too. Did. It's interesting how it ends like episodic television. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah, could, it does. It yeah, really you could almost imagine it being. All right, to, tune in next week for the for the next episode. You know, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I I agree. But I guess with a story like that, there's no conclusion. Yeah, that would be kind of tough, wouldn't it? <clears throat> I can see how they could serialize this and have future installments. I I could see that happening. Yeah. So uh, the silent film 1929 Thunderbolt has been issued by Kino as well, and uh, The Plainsman from 1936 and Unconquered from 1947. Those have all been issued by Kino. Uh, I Wouldn't Be in Your Shoes from 1948 is a Warner Archive release. And uh, this is um, Walter Myrish, who would later go on to produce uh, In the Heat of the Night. He broke into the film business at Poverty Row Studio Monogram Pictures in 1947 with his first film, Fall Guy. And... Um, this was his uh, second film, directed uh, or rather uh, derived from a um, Woolrich, Cornell Woolrich short story. And uh, this stars Don Castle, Elise Knox, Regis Toomey. And uh, like I said, it's a, it's a crime thriller. And uh, there are actually a few extra features here. A special feature short, The Symphony Murder Mystery and Cartoon Holiday for Shoestrings. Again, this is a Warner Archive release. This is a really short film, 71 minutes. So uh, pretty hmm. pretty short. Uh, the Step by Step is a um, – the stars of 1945's Dillinger are reunited in this fast-paced espionage thriller from director Phil Rosen, and it stars Lawrence Tierney, from, better known from his later work in Reservoir Dogs. Of course, he's a Marine veteran who meets and is immediately drawn to the beautiful Evelyn Smith, played by Ann Jeffries. And she's got a new job as secretary to a U.S. senator in California, and she brings unexpected intrigue and trouble for her and Johnny. Uh, the machinations of a sinister group of Nazi spies lead to mysteries and mistaken identities, and the two find themselves framed for murder. Special features include the short, the transatlantic mystery and cartoon, The Great Piggy Bank Robbery. So uh, there you have it. It's another Warner Archive release step by step. And we have alias Jesse James which was a comedy starring Bob Hope as the yellowest cowboy ever to sit in the saddle in this Western spoof where he's an insurance broker who uh, is basically uh, uh, he's, he takes out a policy on Jesse James and has to make sure that he doesn't get killed in order to keep his job. So uh, directed by Norman Z. McLeod, this uh, special feature includes only a theatrical trailer, but uh, it's, uh, I did get a chance to see this one and it, uh, it's it's amusing of its type of uh, later career Bob Hope, not bad. And so um, anyway, uh, just moving along to the last couple of titles here, we have one more uh, MBD visual release. We have uh, Close Range and Savage Dog, which is a double feature starring Scott Adkins. Not Atkins, but Adkins. I wasn't really familiar with these, but these were both released in 2015. I think he was a former wrestler or something. Uh, but anyway, those are uh, released. Close Range, Savage Dog on one disc. And let's see. And we have the last 
day of the month, which is uh, coming up on us, the 27th. We're taking this the, the last Sunday before. And so we have uh, the Dead Zone is being issued by Scream Factory in a deluxe special edition, the original 1983 film and a remastered collector's edition with all kinds of new interviews and new extras, commentaries, and all that good stuff, new transfer and uh, it's the first time. I think The Dead Zone was released as a standard standalone film um, release on Blu-ray back in the fall, last fall, in a Stephen King collection uh, by Paramount. But this one has all the extras that the other one did not. Uh, also, Brotherhood of the Wolf from 2001 is another of the collector's editions from Scream Factory. And we also have The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970, the film debut of director Dario Argento. This is being issued in 4K for the first time. Uh, I did get a chance to look at this. The transfer is quite quite good, and all the previous extras have been retained. And you get a collector's book as well. Also, Cat of Nine Tales, his uh, second film, has been issued as well from 1971. And this is the one with uh, uh, James Franciscus and uh, Carl Malden. And they're uh, a puzzle maker and a detective trying to get to, to the bottom of a, a series of serial killings. Hmm. And, yeah, I uh, love Crystal Plumage. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, good of its type. You can see why it put him on the map. And um, we have a couple of, uh, I said, mentioned earlier that Paramount's been issuing uh, some of their uh, old catalog titles that had gone out of print. Uh, some of the They've gotten the rights to some of the old... Um, Miramax titles and such, and so a couple of things that they'll be putting out are Marvin's Room and Scary Movie 3 and My Left Foot and Proof from 2005, Boy in the Striped Pajamas, uh, Albino Alligator from 1996, the original Scary Movie from 2000, uh, City of God, City of Men, Cold Mountain, The Cider House Rules, 40 Days and 40 Nights, Truth or Dare, Madonna's Truth or Dare, 1991, uh, Chocolat. From 20, uh, 2000, I'm sorry, The Grifters from 1990, uh, the uh, director's cut of 54, uh, Reindeer Games from 2000, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and Clerks. Those have all been issued by Paramount, uh, and State and Maine from 2000 has been issued by Shout Factory. Uh, as one of their Shout Select titles. So that's being issued. And uh, we also have uh, from Kino, Shenandoah from 1965, starring James Stewart. And we have the second volume of The Little Rascals Restorations by Classic Flicks. Uh, this includes all of the shorts, I think, from... Oh, I believe these include all of the ones from 1930 to 1931. So uh, this, uh, I did get the first volume of this. Uh, they look quite stunning in their restorations. Uh, this one includes Pups as Pups, Teacher's Pet, School's Out, Helping Grandma, Love Business, Little Daddy, Bargain Day, Fly My Kite, Big Ears, Shiver My Timbers, and Dogs is Dogs. Hmm. So um, there you go. So uh, that's, that's pretty much all of the Blu-ray releases for the month of July. Okay. Well, started out strong. <laughs> <laughs> that it did. 
Yeah. It's amazing when you run down those list of movies from Miramax, we always uh, just assume that Miramax is the Oscar. Uh, you know, they own the Oscars for a certain period of time in the prestige films and stuff, but they came out with a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely some duds in there. And I guess, I guess Paramount has the rights to Miramax title? Yeah, they do. They do. I I'm not sure how that happened. I know Lionsgate had them for a while, and then somehow they have reverted to uh, Paramount. So they've they've got them all now. Who's willing, who's, who's, who's willing to take this library of content with Harvey's name on it? 